in the in the store bank here and uh Had two from last week. I was all ready to go. I was ready to preach last week to about 3.30 in the morning. I can tell you that right now. I want to preach a message, though. I tell you, that, that sickness made me want to preach a message. That God remembereth our frame that we are dust. Amen? I mean, just how quick our strong bodies can become so frail. Isn't it amazing? I mean, just how fast we can go from strong, healthy creatures to flat on our backs. I mean, we really think that we're something sometimes. I'm going to lower this because I'm not like the rest of you guys in here. I'm a shorty. So, uh, but 1 Samuel 17 this morning. I thought this would be an appropriate message for today considering that uh, this is our Vacation Bible School, and our Vacation Bible School is focused in on giants, in on giants, and uh, and I want to preach a message today about the giants that we face in life, the giants that we face in life, and we're going to deal with one giant today, and uh, and hopefully uh, be able to see some other uh, qualities about giants in our life. But first Samuel chapter number 17 today and uh, we find in this story with us this morning about a man named David and a man named Goliath. And in first Samuel chapter number 17 the Bible says in verse number 3, okay, in verse number 3, and the Philistines stood on a mountain on the, si- on the one side and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side and there was a valley between them. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span, and he had an, a helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass, and he had great greaves of brass upon his legs, and a target of brass between his shoulders, and the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and it's like a 16-pound bowling ball. And one bearing a shield went before him. And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are you come out to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine and you servants to Saul? Choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. And if he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then will we be your servants. But if we prevail, or I prevail against him and kill him, then shall you be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I, the Philistines said, I defy the armies of, the, of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all of Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Let's pray. Our Father, we're thankful for your blessings, your goodness, your grace. We're thankful for your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord who died on Calvary's cross to ransom us from sin that stained us. Lord, it said uh, sin was like a crimson stain, but your blood, Lord, washed it white as snow. We praise you for that. Thank you for the forgiveness, the grace that is found in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we ask this morning that God, your Son, Jesus Christ, would speak to our hearts and that the Holy Spirit of God would convict our lives and that, Lord, you would show to us the giants that exist in our lives. And may we not be afraid or complacent, 
to those giants that God we may face on a regular basis. But God may we be strong and courageous and brave and use the gifts and the talents that God you have given to us to defeat the giants in our life so that God we may give you the glory forever. In Jesus name, amen. If you haven't guessed this week, our VBS is on giants. It's on giants, and the Bible speaks of many different giants in the Word of God. If you go all the way back to Genesis chapter number 6, it's our first mention of giants. And the first mention of giants is whenever the um, sons of God, or the daughters, I should say, of, of, of God, the sons of God, and uh, had, the, had some daughters, and those daughters married uh, people of the world. What is that meaning right there? And some have come up with this ancient uh, mythology thinking that this means that they're talking about there's uh, these uh, mystical creatures of demons and angels being mixed together with human beings. And uh, I don't believe that's what the case may be. What I believe is happening here is simple. In Genesis chapter number 6, it's very simple, is that the godly married the ungodly. The godly married the ungodly. And out of those people that got married came giants in the land. Came giants in the land. And I think that's a giant that we face today. And I'm not going to touch on that much, but I just want to put that out there. That's a giant that Christians face. Is that giants, that giant and a battle that sometimes we may face is that Christians ought not to marry unchristian folk. Uh, if you're a Christian and you're a believer in Christ and you're single, then you need to make sure that you marry somebody that is a Christian. Uh, that's according to God's holy word. And uh, everything went awry whenever the sons, of, the sons of God had daughters and those daughters were married to ungodly men. And it caused a uh, great and terrible thing to happen upon the earth. Giants came out of those. And everywhere else that you look in the Word of God, giants are always, always a representation of that which is evil and that which is wicked. It's amazing. It's a very interesting study. There's not one giant necessarily in the Bible that you find that was a representation of good and righteousness. Uh, you say, are you typifying giants and, and everything? We're self-identifying giants and all these kinds of things. Is No, I'm just telling you what the Bible teaches us, all right? And the Bible's words and lets us know that the giants of the land were people that were oftentimes evil. Deuteronomy 3 tells us of a giant whose name was Og, king of Bashan. All right, anybody have a kid named Og here this morning? I don't think so. Uh, uh, it's a great name, and uh, don't have it. Don't not around much anymore. But Og uh, was a big man. He was about nine. His his bed was over ten feet long. Uh, think about that. Uh, you'd have to have a pretty big room. Some of us, some of us wouldn't even have a room to fit a bed that had ten that was ten feet long. It had to be made out of iron. He weighed so much. Uh, think about that. Uh, this man was a huge man, but he was a uh, person that opposed the children of Israel. He told them they cannot enter into the promised land. He was, they were not allowed to go through his land. He was a king of the Amorites, and God destroyed him. There is another giants that are spoken of. There are the children of Anak. 
and they were in the promised land. The children of Israel went to go uh, conquer the promised land, or I should say spy out the promised land. And when they did, they found there was giants in the land. And they said, we cannot do it. Ten brought back an evil report, and they did not listen to God. And God judged them for 40 years and put them in the uh, wilderness, walking around and around. When they did get into the land, they were met with, guess what? The same giants that they had saw 40 years earlier. And they had victory over some of those giants. Part of that lineage, though, that was left behind was our friend Goliath and his family. Goliath and his family were a family of giants. And God, on the next scene, brings the family of Goliath here. Goliath is brought onto scene in 1 Samuel 17. He is defeated. But there are also many other giants. And all of those giants opposed God. Those were Goliath's brothers and Goliath's sons. And the last of the giants, you find that David's men defeat them and kill them. Are there still giants in the land, though? Even after all of Goliath's family has been killed, are there still giants in the land? And I would, uh, I would present to you this morning, there are. This week, Brother Gear is going to talk about some giants that your children will face and our children will face. And spiritually speaking, a giant is a picture of anything or anybody that stands in our way of serving God. That stands in our way of obeying the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It is a picture of one that is standing in our way. Giants like fun, fear, freedom, friends, and fighting. Are all giants that children face that would hinder their obedience to Jesus Christ. Let me just go ahead and give you a preview. The giant of fun says, you don't have to work. Stop worrying about all that work and nonsense. Go ahead. Forget studying your homework. Life is just a game. It's all about fun. And children can be tempted to not take anything seriously. And children need to be taught to work. They need to be taught that life is not just a game. That life is a uh, place where people need to have responsibilities and uh, be raised up to do uh, good unto others and to help others. Life is not about just playing video games. Can I get an amen on that from anybody, you know? Life is uh, more than just about fun. Life is not just about freedom. And when he's talking about freedom, he doesn't mean freedom or liberty in the sense that you're thinking of, but rebellion. I just talked to a young girl yesterday. I was witnessing to her. And she said, I just don't want any rules. That's what she told me. I don't want any rules. I said, so you're fine with somebody driving 150 miles per hour down the road out here and wrecking into people and hurting people? You're fine with that? No, I'm not fine with that. You're fine with somebody breaking into your house and taking all your stuff? No, I'm not okay with that. You're fine with somebody killing somebody else? No, I'm not okay with that. So then you do like rules then, don't you? <laughs> you see, the giant of freedom says, I want my respect. I want, I'm a, I'm a rebel and I just don't want anybody in charge of me and a giant that is going after all of our young people today is trying to convince them that they are in charge and their parents are just dopes. They're stupid and they're idiots and they don't need their help. And they're going to have some another, another giant that's going to come after them that's preaching this and telling them that is the giant of friends. 
the giant of friends that's trying to convince them and trying to teach them. Now, some of you that have got very young children might not be at this point, but you will one day. And you have to watch out for this giant of friends. They will try to convince your children to do wrong. How many of you were convinced to listen to some ungodly music or smoke your first cigarette or take your first drink of alcohol by an ungodly friend? An ungodly friend convinced you in that. Do you not think your children are going to face ungodly friends too? That you're going, you're going to, they're going to face not only ungodly friends, but ungodly boyfriends or girlfriends that are going to try to, have, make them, try to get them to have sex before marriage. Try to get them to look at ungodly things on the internet. You think that that's going to end? That's not going to end. That's still happening today. And you as a parent got to watch out for those friends. And they're going to be taught about that this week. They're going to be taught about the giant of friends. They're going to be taught about the giant of fighting. Man, young people can be so quarrelsome, can't you? Anybody got any kids in here? I mean, you got maybe, you, I mean, I know, I know all of you. And you got kids in here that have got siblings and everything. Man, siblings can be so quarrelsome. Can I let you in on a secret right now? That even in a pastor's home, amen, that siblings can be quarrelsome, okay? I mean, they can be just flat out quarrelsome. They can just be fighting and uh, there can be infighting, fighting with each other, fighting with mom and dad, fighting at school. Fighting is a giant that needs to be slayed. Needs to be killed, needs to be uh, rid of, and there's the giant of fear. A giant that says, you can't do it, you're too ugly, you're too short, you're too dumb, you're too scared. Uh, all of these giants will be dealt with in vacation Bible school. But have you a giant in your life right now that's hindering your obedience to Jesus Christ? Let's just real quickly ask you this. You see it around the room. Perhaps you still think life is a game. I heard of one person in a marriage counseling, not my personally, but this was a secondhand story, that the, that, the, that the wife was very upset and on the point of divorcing her husband because he thought life was a game. He never would take anything seriously. The kids were just chummy-chummy with him. They were just his buds. They were just his friends. Nobody ever, he never took anything seriously, didn't take his job, didn't take his relationship, didn't take anything seriously. Life was about playing games. I tell you, that will hurt a marriage. That will hurt a relationship. There's some people that are adults that they'll think that they don't their freedom. They're just rebels is what they are. We don't want anybody telling us what to do. But you'll never have the victory over the things that God has placed under you until you first place yourself under the people that God has put over you. You'll never have victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil until first of all you place yourself underneath the authorities that God has put into your life. That God has put into your life. Do you think that Daniel was serving a God-fearing, wonderful king in the land of Babylon? I tell you, he wasn't. He was serving one of the most wicked, ungodly people of all time. But you know what? He served him with respect. He didn't bow down to his gods, but he served the king with respect. And that's what we got to do. I tell you, we live in a society today that most of the government that we have over us is a godless and ungodly and has nothing to do with God. They all believe in evolution. They believe in ungodly things. They don't take the Bible for real. They don't believe that Jesus is the only way. They promote abortion and ungodly wicked things. They do wicked and ungodly stuff with our children and education systems. But I'll tell you right now, my friend, is that it's those that are wicked and ungodly that speak evil against dignitaries. Michael the archangel would not even bring a railing accusation against the devil, the Bible says. But said, the Lord rebuke thee. So let us be careful 
to not be rebellious, but learn to have respect, but godly fear. Godly fear. There's many other things. We could have the spirit of, we could have the, uh, the, the, uh, the giant of friends in your life. Your friends are influencing you in the wrong ways. You need to get rid of those friends. You say, how do I get rid of friends that are being ungodly? I'll tell you a very easy way. Start being godly. Either they'll come to Christ or they'll leave you. That's just plain and simple. And then fighting. We need to make sure we put off the fighting and the fear in our life. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Well, in 1 Samuel 17, we find David's most well-known victory. Because you say, why is it his most well-known? Well, it's because he was young and because he was facing a giant and because he killed the giant with a sling and a stone and because he was young and because it was a giant and because he killed a giant with a sling and a stone. That's why. I mean, it's pretty simple why it's his most well-known victory. But Goliath was a real giant that was really standing in his way and Israel's way of obeying God, of obeying the Lord. What were they supposed to obey? God had given them a specific command, a specific command to inherit and to possess the land. And the Philistines were stopping that. The Philistines were up against David. They were up against the armies of Israel. And God had told them, Thou shalt consume all the people which the Lord thy God shall deliver thee in Deuteronomy 7.16. Thine eye shall have no pity upon them, neither shalt thou serve their gods, for that will be a snare unto thee. The Jews were given specific command, conquer the land. And if they did not conquer the land, God promised them this, that the people they left in the land would become hindrances and snares to them. Joshua tells them in Joshua 23.13. Know for a certainty that the Lord your God, if you will not drive out these nations, he says before you, they will be snares and traps unto you and scourges in your side and thorns in your eyes until you perish off this good land which the Lord your God hath given you. And my friend, God has given us the victory through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? We have the victory in Jesus. We have the victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil. And we need to see this morning that God has given us the victory and that there are certain giants, like I've already mentioned, in our lives that God wants us to have the victory over. God wants us to win. As one person said, you are born again to win. Born again to win. But these verses in Chapter number 17 of 1 Samuel illustrate for us a very particular point. They're here in verse number 20. God has instructed, or excuse me, Jesse, David's, David's father, has instructed Daniel, David to go down to see his brothers and to help and to bring some cheeses and some nourishment to the army. And in verse number 24, the Bible says this, And all the Israel fled... When they saw him, fled before him, when they, and were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up? 
And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches, and will give him his daughter, and make his daughter's house free, and excuse me, his father's house free in Israel. And David spake to the men that stood by, What shall be done to the man that killeth the Philistine, and taketh away the approach? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that should defy the armies of the living God? And Eliab, in verse 28, hears of the conversation, and he says to him, Why camest thou down hither? With whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come, up, come down to that thou mightest see the battle. And David said, What have I now done? Is there not a cause? Go over a little ways to verse number 41. After David grabs his five smooth stones, in verse 41 the Bible says, And the Philistine came on and drew near unto David. And the man that bare the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and a ruddy and of a fair countenance. And David, and the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? Staves, that means with a bunch of sticks, driving me out like a dog. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come unto thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee. And I will give the carcass of the host of the Philistine this day into the fowls of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And you know the rest of the story. Goliath comes down. David takes the sling, knocks him out with a stone, takes his sword, and cuts his head off. Just like God, just like he said God would do. I believe the point that David can make for all of us today is this. Is that David's attitude towards the giant illustrates, I believe, the greater point of that I want to make today. And that is that David hated the sin that Goliath represented. Goliath represented the hindrances. He represented the disobedience. He represented everything that was evil and ungodly that was hindering the people of God from inheriting the promised land. He hated the vile speech that came out of his mouth. He hated the cursing that came out of his lips. He hated and was appalled by all the defying that he did against God. David was even appalled and upset at everybody's fear and lack of concern over the situation. His whole attitude of the giant was one of disgust and ignominy. He was hurt by the fact that nobody was doing anything about this one that was speaking such evil and ungodly things about the Lord. And the giant that we oftentimes, I believe, face in the church, in our own Christian lives, is as simple as this, is a scared, smug approach to sin. Complacency. Complacency. Are we appalled by sin? 
We are so bombarded by sin in our culture and our society today. It's on our billboards. It's on our TVs. It's on the ads, on the social, social media. It's on the news. It's parading down the streets. It's everywhere. Sin is sticking out its face. And it's saying, I'm here. What are you going to do about it? I'm here. What are you going to do about it? And I think that sometimes we've kind of given in. And we're like Saul, we're sitting in our tents and we're okay with everything that is happening out there just as long as nobody hurts me. As long as I can keep sitting in my tent and everything's okay with me. But my friend, David was not pleased by such actions. David was not satisfied with such things. And nor is the Lord. Psalm 711 says, God judgeth the righteous and God is angry with the wicked every day. God is angry. With sin. God is upset. And I'm wanting you to understand this morning is that there is no sin light like a Bud Light or a Miller Light. There's no such thing as sin light. There's no such thing as diet sin. Okay? Sin is sin. Sin is evil. And God hates it. And it ought to be our motto in life that we hate sin too. We ought to hate sin in our own life. We ought to hate sin when we see it. We ought to hate sin every time it runs in front of us. It ought to bother us. It ought to hurt our hearts. It ought to remind us that there are giants in the land, giants of sin that are standing in the way of not only us, but our children too, that are trying to oppose us from having the victory that God would want for us in our lives. But too many times we can be like the children of Israel and the armies, and we can sit back and be scared or be complacent, smug, and not do anything at all. Not say anything at all, and not even worry about it. You know, too many times I think there's Christians that are too often complacent over the sins of, and let me just, and I, and I probably could get some amens here, it's not my point, but I'm going to start big and I'm going to go small. We can be complacent over abortion. Are we forgetting how many millions of children are dying every single day by the hands of an abortionist? And maybe you've had an abortion. This is not an attack against you. It's not an attack against anybody. Listen, I'll stand first in line and tell you this, is that I'm the chief of sinners in here. I know myself better than you know me. But the point is this, are we complacent towards it? Are we complacent? Do we just kind of write it off like, like it's no big deal? Have we kind of just forgotten about it? I hope we don't forget that it's a battle that we're facing today and another generation is dying every single year. Every single year. Are we complacent? And I'll tell you one thing that is we're becoming more and more complacent about is we're becoming more and more complacent about the LGBTQI plus community. We're becoming complacent about that. What I mean is this, is we're becoming complacent to the fact that they are promoting an agenda that is going straight for the jugular of Christianity. They're going straight for it. They even say, yeah, and I don't know if y'all saw that wicked, wicked thing that they even sang there in the San Francisco Gay Men's Choir. We're coming for your children. We're coming for your children. Listen, that's what they're after. That's what they're coming for. That's what they want right there. 
It is a community. It is, it is an agenda. It's not just a community. It's an agenda. And I always think this is so interesting. What, what do they call their week? They call it Pride Week. What is the thing that God hates the most? Pride. Pride. But yet they're proud against God. Proud against God. Are we complacent over the sins of the over-sexualization of children in our society? If you are, then you'll cancel your Disney Plus membership right away. You'll cancel your Netflix because that's what they promote. They promote little girls and, 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 and they promote them doing ungodly, wicked things. Because whenever you dress a 15-year-old in degrading and modest clothing and put her on stage, guess what you get? And you get a Britney Spears. I feel sorry for people like that. Because you know what they did? For the love of money, they sexualized their children. And for the love of money, that's what happens to people. They sexualize little kids. And I should say this, that there is even 8, 9, and 10-year-olds on TV today with ungodly and wicked things that they are doing. Do they know any better? Perhaps they don't. I don't think they do, but their parents should. And you should too. But I'll tell you the biggest thing we are complacent over. We are complacent over, in general, sex. We are complacent on it. Sex is the God of the day. It is the God. We are worshiping the gods of Baal and Ashtaroth. That's what, that's what those gods were in the Old Testament. Those were the gods of sex. Baal and Ashtaroth. And America is bowing down to the, to the gods of Baal and Ashtaroth. Not in idol stone form, but in a form that is present on every single TV show that is out there, every single sitcom, every single even Blues Clues episodes where transgender people are being promoted in front of these things. I'm telling you, we are bowing down, and Christians are falling lock, stock, and barrel whenever we sit down and watch affairs and homosexuality on our favorite TV show. You know the best way to get rid of those things? Turn it off. Let the ratings fall down the tubes. Get rid of those things. Sex is our God in our country. We have, we have made it in our country. Porn is fueling our youth. It's fueling this, this place that we live in. Over the past 70 years, this country has promoted extramarital sex. And has promoted it since the 60s and put it out there and put it out there and put it out there and put it out there. We listen to it. We glamorize it. Our country glamorizes affairs. They glamorize celebrities when they have affairs and commit. I shouldn't call it an affair. My friend of mine, he corrected me on that. He said, Matthew, never call it an affair. Call it an adultery. Call it like it is. How many people do you know that even on their social media account have gotten divorces? And have hooked up with uh, old girlfriends of the past and old boyfriends of the past because they got on Facebook, and they got on Instagram, they got on, uh, they got on there, and they are finding out who was who and where they've been and everything. And guess what? One thing leads to another, and they're leaving their wife of 15, 20 years for some floozy that doesn't even uh, care about herself, nor care about her family, and he doesn't care about his family. My friend, this is what runs America. And the clothing that they sell in the stores today leaves nothing to the imagination. It's all promoting the God and goddesses of sex. 
And I don't like to preach this way, but this is what God's put on my heart. And we just need to just say, amen. And believe it. For ourselves. Because we do grow complacent towards these things. Church is not a place, and sadly, the modern church has made a place where somebody can come in and get a pick-me-up and go back out and try to face the week. But that's not what church is, my friend. And that's not what this church is. We don't just need a pick-me-up. We don't just need a, a hoorah message, a pep rally. We need the Holy Spirit of God to convict us of our sins. We need the Holy Spirit of God to tell us where we've gone wrong. We've gone complacent in our own sins. The Bible says, these things, six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven of them are an abomination unto them. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. That's abortion. Hands that shed innocent blood. And they even say, take the morning after pill. I mean, they're swift to shed innocent blood. They want to get rid of it right then. A wicked heart, feet that be swift to run in mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord unto the brethren. The breakdown is this, is that God hates pride. He hates our pride. And I was talking to a friend of mine this week, and he said, he said you know, uh, one of the problems with most people is they have a pride issue. And I said, Brother Yalls, I said, I have a pride issue. He said, Brother Matthew, we all have a pride issue. We all have a pride issue. And if you don't think you've got a pride issue, you really got a pride issue. You ever thought about that? If you say, I have no pride, well, you've got lots of pride. You need to ask God for, for some help and some humility and some contriteness, some brokenness. Lying. God hates lying. Don't lie to your spouse. Don't lie to your neighbor. Don't lie uh, to get a better deal on something. Don't lie for any reason whatsoever because God hates it. God hates it. Shedding of innocent blood. I've already mentioned that. God hates a wicked heart, a heart that devises wicked imaginations. Man, don't we live in a culture and a society that's imagining wicked things all the time? I mean, new ways to sin. That's what our society is doing. It's coming up with new ways to sin. New ways to do ungodly things in whatever way they can. Swift to, uh, he says here, he says, swift that be running to mischief. They, I mean, God hates it whenever we're just wanting to run to some ungodly event, ungodly concert, ungodly thing, just so that we can see something else. Running here, running there. A false witness. What is that? Gossip. God hates gossip. Isn't there a magazine, I think, they called Gossip out there? I don't even know. If you subscribe to the magazine, I hope that you do not subscribe to it. But if you do, I hope you quit your... Sub I mean, that just right there just said, you might as well just put it on the front. Sin. Right there on the front. Abomination that God hates right here on the front of it. But all those magazines there in Walmart or in the Owl or HEB, all that is a bunch of gossip and nonsense anyhow. That's all it is. As Christians, we ought not to have our hands on none of that stuff. God hates it. God hates the sowing of discord. If you go out of here and you didn't like what was being said today, you can come take it up with me. That's fine. We can talk about some things. Maybe, there, maybe I said something that shouldn't have been said. But you know what? If you go out of here and you start talking about this and that and stay, saying this to this person and that person, what are you doing? You're sowing discord. God hates that stuff. God hates that stuff. I don't got a problem with anybody coming to me. Listen, I'm not perfect, and I'll be the first to admit it, but God hates these things. 
And let me say this too uh, with all of this, is that with this hands being shedding innocent blood, uh, we are living, and I want you to be warned here, we are living in a culture today that is a culture of violence. The murder rate is going through the roof in our culture. And can anybody tell me what happened in Genesis chapter number 6 whenever the earth was destroyed by a flood? That's right. Violence covered the face of the earth. You see, first of all, what happens is the process is that, first of all, is that a nation starts bowing down to the gods and goddesses of sex. And then what happens is they start bowing down to the gods and goddesses of war and violence. And that's, we're on the threshold of those two right there. We're on the threshold of that. And we're moving over more towards violence. We ought to be careful whenever a murderer can get a 10-year sentence and be off in five because of good behavior. You don't think that's happening? That's happening in America. Unjust judges. We face in our church today, Scenic Hills Baptist Church is facing giants that are standing in our way of obeying God. Maybe it's just lying or pride, whatever it might be. Maybe it is a battle that you're having with sex and pornography. Maybe it is staying too long on looking at things on the internet and things on Facebook and all those kinds of things and sticking and staying, staying too long with those kinds of things. Maybe it's all that stuff combined. I don't know what it is. But here's the deal is that I'm inclined to believe that God is not just angry about things that he's told us not to do, but God is also equally angry about when Christians don't do what we're supposed to do and been told to do. When was the last time you told somebody about Jesus Christ? When was the last time you handed a gospel tract to somebody? You think that God is just upset or God is angry or, God, or that God cares just about, about the prohibitions? God also, his commands are also to be, he says, to commit certain things, to do certain things. We ought to be telling people about Jesus Christ our Lord. When the door is open and the opportunity presents itself. Like I, yesterday I was talking to this young girl and she says to me, uh, she says to me, we're atheists. Well, that's a door for me, all right, to tell somebody about Jesus Christ. When somebody just says, I'm an atheist, when a 15-year-old tells me that, that's a real big door for me. Because what she's really doing is she's just mouthing uh, and parroting what she's heard on the internet. She doesn't know what she believes. She doesn't even know what an atheist is. But when was the last time you helped somebody? When was the last time you were a good Samaritan? Let me, I, let me put it like this. When was the last time you helped and served somebody outside of your family? Outside of your family. You went and visited somebody. You cooked something for somebody. You were a blessing to your neighbor. You helped out somebody. You were trying to serve somebody. When did you do that? We have been all called to serve one another. When was the last time you read and studied your Bible? When did you read your Bible? When was the last time you read a chapter out of the Scriptures? And not just read it to be reading it, not just reading a couple of Psalms and then closing up and forgetting what you did and then going on about your day, but you really read the Word of God. You meditated on it. You thought about it just like God wanted you to do so. We are complacent. 
So many times we can sit around here on Sunday and we can think we're doing okay, we vote right, we're Americans, we're hard workers, we're all of these things, but yet we're not doing our best for the Lord. We're up all hours of the night doing this and doing that. We're going to movies or we're, uh, uh, we're up on our phones or we're watching TV or we're entertaining ourselves to death or whatever, whatever it might, might be when we should be getting up in the mornings with reading the Word of God and hit the ground running for the Lord. I challenged the teenagers this morning. I said, uh, all of you have a gift for God. Are you using that gift? Let me ask you, do you have a gift? Are you saved? You do. You have a gift. God has given everyone in here a gift. Are you using the gift for God? You say, I don't know what my gift is. Then you're being lazy and slothful. You need to ask God to repent of that and say, God, I have a gift because you promised me I do. What is it? What is your gift that God you've given me? I want to use it for you. Because if you don't use your gift for God then you're going to squander it away. You say, all I have is this little sling and a stone. That's all I've got. I'm too small. I'm not strong enough. You say, well, go ahead. Stay that way. The devil will love for you to stay that way. And you know what? You can sit back on your haunches and eat your cheese and drink your wine and sit in your tents and while Philistine stands behind you and tries to and defies the armies of the living God and defies God Almighty. And this world just keeps defying God and speaking out against God. But you go ahead and stay on your phones and you go ahead and just keep living the way that you want to live. Listen, my friend, God is looking for some Davids out there that would say, listen to me, Goliath. I'm telling you something right now that all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sorrow sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's I want to be a David do you want to be a David you say I don't got very much to give God it don't matter because listen to me my friend God can take that which is small and increase it and multiply it and use it for his glory and his honor a little lad brought to Jesus Christ five loaves and two fishes and what did God do with that God multiplied it and fed over 5,000 men and over 15,000 people you don't know what God can do with your life. You don't know what God can do with your testimony. You don't know what God can do with what you've gone through. You say, I don't understand why I've gone through the things that I've gone through. I'll tell you why you've gone through the things you've gone through. And so God can use it for his glory. That's why. He loves you. But I tell you what, as much as he loves me, loves me and he loves you, he demands the glory. Because he's the one that created you. And sustained you. And loves you. And sent his son. Jesus. To die for you. So that you my friend. Wouldn't have to suffer eternity in hell. As Jonathan said. God has paid it all. And he demands nothing. But our life. But our life. Eliab looked down at David. And he said. I know why you're here. I see the pride in your heart, the naughtiest in your heart. And he said, is there not a cause? That's the question I ask of all you today. Is there not a cause? Is there a cause? I'll tell you there's a cause. I'll tell you what, there's giants in the land. And they ain't leaving anytime soon. They ain't going anywhere. It's time for some Christians to stand up and take the little bit that God's given to them and surrender it to God 
and go out there and face the giants that are hindering, trying to hinder your walk with Jesus Christ. Don't let those giants of fear, doubt, don't let them stand in your way. You take God and his word. Well, let me say it like this. You take God at his word. You take God at his word. And believe God. And he'll work it out in the end. With every head out and every eye closed, we're going to have a hymn.